Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? Holding up well, I hope. Continuing to stay safe, sane, active, positive, productive, healthy, all those things. Well, if you're looking for a little escape from reality, and want to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's happening in the world of sports, then you've come to the right place to absorb it all here on the latest edition of the J Reels podcast. I'm your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content. And for those who've been banging with me for now 130 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, May the 11th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What to expect here over the course of the next 45 minutes to an hour is as follows. The Last Dance, episode 7 and 8, aired last night. And I'll review and highlight some of the bullet points and takeaways from those two episodes as we get that much, much closer to the end of The Last Dance. This epic ESPN documentary of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Of the heyday of the 90s winning six titles in eight years. I'll touch on that as well as some NBA news and notes in regards to restarting the league or restarting their season. And it certainly doesn't bode well or look good based on what I read here for this conference call that took place on Friday between the commissioner, Michelle Roberts, the executive director, and the player president of the NBA, Chris Paul. So I'll share my two cents on that as well as the NFL schedule, which I thought was going to be released this Thursday, but in actuality was last Thursday, so my apologies to that. I'll go through the schedule, whether it's the Sunday night games, Monday night, Thanksgiving, break it all down for you a little bit later on, as well as Frank Gore, who signed a one-year deal with the Jets and whether or not he's a Hall of Famer. So that's going to be very interesting for me to break that down and for you to listen to, so stay tuned for that. As well as the situation in the MMA, where we had a combatant, they had to be pulled from UFC 249 on Saturday, and everybody knows I am not well-versed when it comes to the UFC or mixed martial arts, but we had a situation there where not only the combatant, which I can't even think of his name off the top of my head, but also two of his cornermen had to be pulled from this event. And why that's a big deal when it comes to the grand scheme of things if sports were to be back into the American fabric. So we'll have that. Also, my hero in Zero of the Week, But I'm starting off this podcast in a different route Only because if you've listened to me Whether you go back to episode 1 or anywhere in between Every now and again I like to talk about the weather Especially here in the northeast where I live And considering that we're already in the middle of May Or at least approaching it It seems as as if the years go by Or when the years go by For whatever the reason The calendar does turn to spring Usually around March 20th, 21st And we know we turn those clocks up there in the second Sunday of March. But for whatever the reason, spring never arrives. It seems as if we go from winter to winter light to a light spring, and then all of a sudden it's summer. Case in point. Saturday, I wake up 
to a temperature of 37 degrees with a wind chill of 28, which felt more like a mild day in January than it did a spring day in May. Later that afternoon, I had to see snow flurries here on the New York City streets. And all I could say to myself at that point was, when is spring ever going to arrive? Where is it? What have we done over the years to not deserve a spring in the Northeast is beyond me. And I get that this is the first world of all first world problems. There are people that right now are currently unemployed. There are people right now that don't know when their next paycheck is going to be. There are people right now that don't know when their next meal is going to be served. I get all that. So to me, this is just getting on my soapbox and my platform just to vent here. Because how can I go from running in the Northeast Bronx on a 70 or 80 degree day as it was the previous weekend? And then here I am this Saturday hoping that I could put away the coats, that I could start wearing more short sleeves and shorts. And be that much more comfortable in the warm, beautiful spring air. When it feels like it's December and January all over again. And all I could do is just shake my head. Scratch my head in the process and say, when will this ever stop? I understand yesterday it was 62 degrees. It was sunny. It was a beautiful day here in the Northeast of New York. But I still had to wear a jacket. I want to stop wearing jackets. And not to say it has to be 75, 80 degrees every day from here till June 20th when it's officially summer. But can we get a break here? And also, let me just throw this on top of it. Even with everything that's happening in the world, people not traveling as much, obviously no emissions when it comes to a lot of the stuff that deals with climate change. Now, animal agriculture is another story to talk about for some other time. But with that, climate change... You hear all these stories about how the birds are chirping better, which I hear every day. I've never heard birds chirp as loud as they have been over the last four or five weeks. Or when you look at some of the rivers out there that a lot more clearer, the oceans, which as we all know, they seem to be eroding by the second. Everything that's going on in this universe where we can look at it and say, maybe we could have a spring considering that the world and the climate is a little bit on the mend. For whatever the reason, the Northeast did not get that memo. So from a frustrating and from an aggravated viewpoint, I understand it's not the energy I wanted to start this podcast, but just knowing that we had to endure some snow on Saturday and it was May the 9th, uh, it was just sick to my stomach. And every now and again, I like to throw my little forecast in, whether it's, wow, it's too hot out there, which I'll never complain about, or it's October and we're already getting 40 degree days or early snow or Arctic blast, and we get it. This winter was probably the most mildest winter on record, which doesn't bode well for our planet, but that's another story as well. But here we are, May the 11th, and all I could say is this, as I get this rant over with and I go on to what you really signed up for and to listen to some sports, is I am grateful, I am thankful, I am blessed, and it was just a few minutes that I needed to get off my chest to vent about how crazy this weather and the spring that never arrives here in the Northeast. So I'm just thankful and grateful that you listened to that. And now we can move on to bigger and better things. So let's talk about the NBA. Before we get to the last dance, I want to touch on this conference call that took place on Friday between the commissioner, Adam Silver, and the NBA player president, Chris Paul, as well as Michelle Roberts, who is an executive director 
for the players. And what you take away from this, it certainly does not bode well. And not to sound like a broken record here over the last four or five weeks, whether we're looking at when will sports return? Is there going to be a date? Can we forecast a time frame as to when we could look at maybe games being played or when teams are going to finally have a camp or reunite to where we could have something to look forward to? As you know, over the weekend, in particular in Cleveland, where certain cities and certain facilities have opened up to where Kevin Love even said that it was weird just to be in the gym shooting a basketball considering he had, for all intents and purposes, two months off without doing anything. But when you have, slowly but surely, when you have these teams trickling in to where you could get some sort of activity when it comes to the players are concerned, and again, they're only allowing but just a handful of players in at a time, which they're going to have to slowly but surely ease their way in as much as we want everybody to rush back and put that timetable to work to say, hey, maybe June 1st, maybe June 15th, July 1st, whatever it is. But the sad part is is that Adam Silver can't figure out as to when this thing is going to start. And not based on the numbers or the areas which are hit hard or the numbers that may be increasing in certain parts of the country, especially where there's an NBA city. But he even admitted that he does not have a decision made not only just for this month, but going into the month of June. He is trying to do the best thing possible, not only for his players, but also for the sport. And he wants to do this right, which I can understand him wanting to wait to the, not just to the 11th hour, but the 11th hour, 59th minute and 59th second. Because despite the fact that you have tons of money at stake, but more importantly, you have the healthier players which are more at risk and of the utmost importance. But knowing that he can't even pinpoint a date or a time to say, this is when we're going to start the league, he has his hands tied behind his back. And I'm sure that the other sports leagues, whether it's the NHL or even to a certain extent the MLB, are looking to Adam Silver to kind of give us all the green light, which is a lot of pressure on him because it's not as if he's the end-all be-all when it comes to decision making despite the fact that he was the first person on the front line to suspend the NBA as it was back on March 11 but as unfair it is to him that's the one league that right now that people are certainly looking at with all the storylines and everything that has transpired throughout this NBA season you know not that many people are looking at the NHL maybe the casual fan they just want the NBA to come back they're not even looking to, to see which team on the ice I bet you can't even get five casual sports fans to tell you who's pretty much been the best team in the NHL all season long. They couldn't give you that answer. But going back to Silver and company, it's a situation where not only he's got to be at wit's end trying to figure out what to do, but at the same time, he's playing this smart. And he even stated that if the next NBA season, 2020-2021, is going to start in December, or maybe even January then so be it. Because right now, he's looking at wanting to complete the season and then go through a regular postseason where he's going to have four best of seven rounds to lead to an NBA title. And how could you blame him? We know how much money they've lost between March 11th and today, considering it's two months to the day. That's number one. Number two, 
he knows that a lot of the revenue that's going to come from the league, whether it's through the TV networks such as ESPN, TNT, ABC, or even more so as we found out during this conference call, that 40% of the revenue just from opening the arena, everything that takes place over the course of the four or five hours, not just the game itself. We all know the concessions and everything else that entails putting up a basketball game in any arena throughout the course of an afternoon or an evening. And that's a very significant portion of the revenue which can't be or can't go unnoticed. So for Adam Silver to try to figure this out, and he can't do this on the fly anymore, but for the most part, this is pretty much what he has to do because he doesn't want to make any quick executive decisions to either shut down the league or prolong it for as long as he possibly can. And as I said, does that mean that he's going to play this out until maybe September into October and then start up in December, January? I'm sure he's keeping that option as open as he possibly can. And it's certainly a very risky game. Because now you're going into the next season, but that's something that I'm sure he wants to worry about then. He wants to try to do whatever it takes to complete this season or get the season back on the beam, complete the season, and then he'll worry about 2020, 2021 at that time. And he's looking at this not only just from the league perspective as far as getting the temperature of his players, no pun intended considering the climate that we're in, but also knowing that he doesn't want a PR nightmare on his hands when it comes to testing because he feels as if he doesn't want to take tests from needy people just because the NBA are who they are, a top sports league where he doesn't want to feel as if they're taking away tests just because he wants to get the game back up and running to where people in various cities throughout this country certainly haven't been tested or are trying to find a test to make sure that they are 100% scot-free of the coronavirus. You also have to deal with, if you're Adam Silver, the pressure of the players, as Chris Paul stated in this conference call, how a lot of these teams or a lot of the facilities that are going to be open, not wanting to rush the players back, that all this is voluntary, which it is to this point, but if there's a player that certainly wants to balk at the idea of having to go back as much as he wants to get back in the fold, but when you hear all these stories, as I mentioned at the top with the MMA fighter and his corner getting coronavirus, he doesn't want to feel as if he goes in there and he gets it from the security guard or whomever works those facilities, whether it's the janitor or whomever it is. These are all other things that you have to take into consideration when it comes to trying to bring the sport back. And I've been saying this for podcast after podcast. So I'm not breaking any news here. But this is what the NBA is up against with right now. And you haven't heard much from Bettman in the NHL. Remember, they wanted to go to remote sites to restart their season or get into the postseason. Then they nixed that where the NBA right now is looking at Orlando and Las Vegas if they were to restart their season at any point to do that and have those two sites. I guess you would think LA would be more of the West Coast or the Western Conference would be involved there and then Orlando would be generally the Eastern Conference hub for those two respective conferences. And at this point, I understand you got to do whatever it takes. But the one thing you can't knock Adam Silver for, he's... Doing, not only is he doing his best, 
But he's being smart about it. And he understands that he only has but so much time. But as I said, he's going to make sure he gets it down to the last second in order for him to either say, we're going to go through with this or we're going to pull the plug. My take on all this, and obviously I'm not the commissioner, and I certainly don't envy him for that position by any stretch. But I would say have to pull the plug. This virus is just... It's an enemy that nobody ever thought that they would you can even imagine fighting and a lot of people losing. And not just for the sake of their lives, which is sad in its own right, but because of the whole deal about people who carry this virus being asymptomatic and not showing any symptoms, that's the X factor. Because if it wasn't for that, not to say it wouldn't be that much of a big deal or would make it that much more easier, but they would be able to determine players who are symptomatic and asymptomatic, if it wasn't either or, it would be a lot easier and unfortunately is the silent killer in this whole process. That's the bottom line. Generally, when people get sick, you already know. Fever, cough, sneezing, whatever it is. And you'll be able to detect that prior to. It's the people who are asymptomatic and are fine. They can run a race. They can play full court. They can jump up and down and feel as if everything's 100%. That's the unknown. And that's why sports hasn't come back. Because if we knew as early as just somebody falling ill to this thing, Then we could sequester them. They could go off for 14 days. And it would still be controversial because if any of these players were to come down with it, then you know that your seasons or playoff series could be in jeopardy. But the sad part is is that when somebody is feeling 100% and everything's well, and then they take the test and boom, as I said before, and I'll say it again, this is why it's going to be very tough for these leagues to restart or start if you're Major League Baseball and move ahead because this is going to be a quandary that is unlike anything we've seen. Yeah, it's all there is to it. But let me turn my attention to the last dance. Let's get to that. I know that all this is probably a little bit too much here. I got my rant to start off to put us in a down note. And then now with this NBA conference call, it's like, geez, can we get some positivity here? Well, I'm going to start sharing that with you right now. And if you haven't watched any of the Last Dance, the ESPN, Michael Jordan. To me, it's a Michael Jordan documentary because without him, there would be no documentary. But it's been taking us to heights that no one could ever imagine. And what you got from last night, a few things. We finally got to see more of the competitive spirit and the competitive fire of Michael Jordan as we know him. And we saw that pretty much throughout. Now, we've seen it, obviously, whether it was the Dream Team that we saw last week the situation with Clyde Drexler. I mean, there's so many examples that we could go to or go through in reference to how competitive he is. But last night, you really got a chance to see that, whether he's ribbing Scott Burrell. And Burrell was a nice guy. You know, he took it like a champ. And Burrell was a guy who was pretty much a seventh, eighth player off the bench. Wasn't a guy who had a long NBA career. But... You saw that a little bit even on the flight, if you remember, I believe it was at the end of episode five, or maybe it was six, one of those episodes when they go into Utah right before the All-Star break, maybe in episode four now that I think about it, but anyway, where Jordan is chastising Burrell about, hey, you stay up late all the time, and he looks at the camera, hey, my mom and dad are looking at this, even off the court, you got to see that 
competitive side of Jordan, but it's the stuff on the court, whether it was with him, the fight that he had with Steve Kerr, to the point where Kerr punched him square in the chest and then Jordan clocked him in the eye. And at that point, gained the respect of Steve Kerr because he stood up to him, whereas we know a lot of his teammates were either scared of him or felt like they were being bullied by Jordan. And the one thing that I truly love from last night is what Jordan said at the end of episode seven when he said, you know, I don't have to do this, but because I'm here, not only do I want to show people that I care, but he had the great quote, which I truly loved. And I'll clean it up just for the families that are out there listening to this. When Jordan said, there wasn't anything I asked anybody that I didn't effing do. And that's Michael Jordan in a nutshell. That was it. And then he even teared up at the end and yelled and said break. And I couldn't get enough of that. I soaked all that. Because as we've seen time and time again, not only just when you watch Jordan back in the days, for for those who were privileged enough to watch him, but to be able to have him with his words say what he felt and truly resonate with me. And I'm sure a lot of the people out there, I tell you, I couldn't get enough of it. And that was Jordan. That even my girlfriend came out and said, oh my God, why is he so petty? Whether it's with Scott Burrell or even with George Carl during the 96 NBA Finals at the restaurant there in Chicago and Carl walked by without even saying hello and Jordan used that as fuel to the fire. Same for BJ Armstrong when he was a member of the Charlotte Hornets and he came back and won game two and pretty much eviscerated the Hornets from there on out. And she said, why is he so petty? I said, well, that's what makes him great. And not only that's what makes him great, that's what makes Jordan an immortal. Everybody refers to that as the Jordan DNA. And there's only a handful of people, less than that, you can count on one hand, at least in my lifetime, that any athlete had that type of attitude, fortitude, everything that would embody not just a champion, but would just do whatever it takes to win a game. And he was one of them. And he's right at the top. And that's what I came away with last night. Because, right, we know going back to when he was a kid, how his fa- he felt his father pitted his older brother against Michael. And then that's what started the whole competitive nature and built that all up. And you were not going to see this in the documentary because, again, this is just going to go to the end of the 98 season. But even in the Hall of Fame speech, which Jordan got slaughtered for, and I thought he was fantastic in that speech. And would you expect anything less coming from him? And that's on YouTube. So go watch that. The Jordan Hall of Fame speech. I mean, he pretty much undresses everybody on that. And rightfully so. He felt like he was the underdog going back to his time in high school when he didn't make the varsity team. Or was the JV one or the other as a ninth grader? So he has these chips on his shoulder throughout it all, but that's what fueled him to be what he was. And if you can't accept that or acknowledge that, then sports isn't your thing. I wish in all my sports, all my teams, they had, whether it's 12 Michael Jordans or 53 Michael Jordans or 25 Michael Jordans, you name it. And then the other things you got from last night, and we get that the baseball thing was a key contributor to that through the conversations with his father. Then we could pretty much put to bed all those conspiracy theories about his father being murdered, unfortunately being found at the North South, and South Carolina border. And Jordan, of course, was distraught, and rightfully so, 
To have something like that happen to anybody is just unfathomable. And then you see him at the ALCS Toronto and Chicago down in Comiskey in the ALCS where he throws out the first pitch and then murmurs come out about him, press conference, Berto Center, about retiring. And all you saw the next day were all those cameras. It was front page headlines. It led all the news stories, your NBC Nightly News, ABC, everything. You saw everybody who was there. And then Jordan bows out, plays baseball. We know how that went. You see Terry Francona, who managed him at Birmingham. And some of the stories, is even work ethic going back to then, which was fascinating because he had to adjust his body from being a basketball player to a baseball player, different core muscles being used, etc. So when he came back, and if there was one thing throughout the first eight episodes... If there was one thing I would have liked the director to ask Jordan, and is it obvious? Maybe to a certain extent it is. But when you look at what happened to baseball at that time with the strike in 94 going into 95 and the uncertainty of that, where Jordan reconnected with B.J. Armstrong and then slowly but surely got back to playing basketball. And of course, March 18th, 1995, when he played against the Pacers and was back in the NBA. You wonder if the strike had a lot to do with him influencing his decision on whether or not to come back to the NBA and obviously he did and it would have been interesting to see that if there was not a strike would he continue to play baseball or was the itch that big for him to come back that there was a time for him to do so that was the one thing I would have liked to have answered by Jordan himself but that's all right. I mean neither here nor there I'm not going to lose sleep over it but considering how detailed and how in-depth they got in on a lot of these particular subjects you figure that that would have been something that the director would have broached to MJ about. But then the other things you got here with the 93-94 season, how Pippen became first-team All-NBA, out of Jordan's shadow, had a great year. We know about Game 3 against the Knicks in the Eastern Conference semifinals. Him just sitting on the bench, not wanting to be a part of the last play where Tony Kukoc, as you saw, hit some game-winning shots throughout the regular season. And then there, that was a very tough shot for him too. Catches the ball, top of the key, a la Christian Leitner there. Duke versus Kentucky in the 92 regional final. He makes that jumper to get back in the series as they were down 0-2. And then they go to a seventh game. The other thing they didn't detail, and again, this is more about Jordan than it is anything, but it is about that Bulls run. The game five against the Knicks in that same series, the Hugh Hollins, the call where Pippen had, he did touch... Hubert Davis, but it was such a ticky-tack foul, and that led to three free throws. They win the game five, and then even though they lose a game six in Chicago, but they came back to win game seven at Madison Square Garden. Horace Grant, who goes from Chicago to Orlando, and that was a big theme there, as Orlando was a big part of that whole 95 season when Jordan came back. Game one, he loses the ball, Nick Anderson gets stripped, and that was a game that the Bulls could have won, and probably should have won, because as you saw, they were up by one point at that time, they had the ball, Jordan's bringing the ball up, he gets stripped, and then they bring it back the other end for a basket, and they still had a chance to take the lead there where Jordan had the ball, and he passed up a shot to throw it to Pippen by the baseline that goes past them into the stands, and that pretty much iced not only the game, but even the series, although it did go six, but if that was a game that they would have won, who knows, that could have changed the outlook of the series. And I understand a lot of people would look at Jordan as being imperfect, especially during that 91 to 98 stretch where they won all those titles and you don't really have anything to hang your hat on as far as him not coming up in a big spot 
And the Jordan apologists, they'll look at that and they'll say, well, he didn't have his sea legs. He wasn't 100%. He wasn't in basketball game shape at that point, which is absolutely right. I mean, how could you take 21 months off, then come back and then be part of a, an Eastern Conference semifinal and then just think that he could turn it on right away? And even though he wore the 4-5 in game one and then went back to 23 for the rest of the series and, of course, the rest of his Chicago Bulls career, but it was a thing where as much as the Jordan hater could look at that and say, ah, well, that's the one time he didn't come through in the clutch, there is a caveat there. And as everybody knows, I am not a Bulls fan. I am not a Jordan fan, but of course, a Jordan admirer. And that's one that you give him a little bit of a pass. And also, going back to the uh, Hoku coach and uh, that shot with Pippen, and Pippen acted like a baby there. I know in his little confession, Last night, he came out and said that if he were to do it again, he probably would have done the same thing, but he certainly knew that that wasn't the right thing to do. He wasn't being a team player. That's where Ego got involved because, again, it was his team. Jordan's gone. He wanted to take upon his shoulders, and therefore, he wasn't being drawn up in that last play by Phil Jackson, and he was just an enormous baby about it. And again, when the Ego gets in the way, This is why situations like this arise and he should have known better and he says he knows better to this day but he said if he had to do it all over again contradicts himself. He says, I probably would have done the same thing. Well, you you can't say that you wish you could have it back and then turn around and say, well, I would have done the same thing if the situation was to be replicated over again. Uh, You can't have it both ways there, Scotty. And then the Jordan nice guy angle. I know BJ Armstrong came out and said you can't be a nice guy or a nice teammate if you're 100% 100% thought process is just winning and pushing your teammates to be better. And as I said before, we know his teammates didn't like him or maybe even despised him to a certain extent, whether you're Judd Bushler or Will Perdue, Bill Wennington, but they all know. As Jordan says, there's a price to pay when it comes to winning. It's not all confetti and unicorns and rainbows and things of that nature. Yeah, it may look that way when that trophy's being raised in the last game of the year and they're the ones standing with it but everything leading up to that and even more so the stuff behind the scenes that nobody really gets to see that we're able to see in this documentary it's highlighted here and Jordan that's why he teared up at the end of that episode 7 and that's why this whole documentary period is is going to stand alone at the end of the day is probably the best ever I think and we understand to have a guy like Jordan you can't Maybe when LeBron, when his day is over and he comes out with a documentary or somebody comes out with a documentary detailing his life, who knows? But it's just so very few subjects that you could have a guy that is arguably the greatest of all time and one of the great athletes that's been produced here in the US of A. To have a documentary like this, it's almost going to be tough to match when it comes to a magnitude and a star of Michael Jordan. And there's no other way to put it. And he, a couple other things before I move on. I know the LeBradford Smith thing was funny. As he scored 37, he was a member of the then Washington Bullets. And he scored 37 against Jordan in Chicago. And they had a home and home to where Jordan was fueled by the comments that LeBradford Smith made as they exited the court. And he said, hey, nice game, Michael. And he was like, nice game? Okay. Well, I'm going to put 37 on you in the first half. And what did he do? He put 36. And I think he ended up with 49 in a blowout win. That was Jordan. 
To me, Jordan was, and this is a strong statement, but I'm going to say it because to me, there's no other way to put it. When it came to being between the white lines, it was kill or be killed. And that's how he looked at it. There is no other way to put it than other than that. I, I can't even articulate it better. And I understand it may be a little strong, a little sensitive. Whoa, hey, hey, it's just a game. It is, but you're not paying attention by watching all this and to think that that's, to him, that's what it was all about. Also a fascinating tidbit was the author of Rare Air, Mark Vansell, who spoke to Jordan after the 92 season and felt as if he wanted to quit right then and there because of everything that took place over those two seasons and then he had the Olympics that summer, but he wanted to do something that Magic Johnson or Larry Bird never did and that was win three straight. And as we all know, he did do that. If not, he would have quit then and he would have pursued baseball at that time. So that's you know some of the things that you got here from these two episodes. And as we look ahead to Sunday, which will culminate in episodes 9 and 10, and you're looking at the 97 playoff run in the first hour, where you'll see the first matchup against Utah that season, and they'll highlight the Indiana... Chicago Eastern Conference Final of the 98 season which the end of episode 8 tipped off with game 1 so you'll see games 2 through 7 in that first hour and then the last hour is going to be all about the 98 season and the culmination of the last shot the last dance in Utah game 6 and away we go and I'm fascinated I I can't wait to see it to think this is 10 hours and if I were to sit at home let's say on one of those rainy dreary weekend days that we've experienced here in the northeast as I said at the very top those 10 hours will go by in 10 minutes and that's what it feels like when watching this I mean it just it is such an entertaining watch I I, I can't get enough of it I sound like a broken record again but still that's how terrific this is I know ESPN's coming out with a few more Lance Armstrong I think I'm doing a two-parter there the McGuire Sosa, so now they're starting to ramp up the 30 for 30s considering there are no sports and who knows when it's going to come back. So good for them for putting out the content from a lot of these great sports stories of yesteryear. So that's what you got there with the last dance. All right, let me turn my attention to the NFL and the schedule which was released for 2020 there on Thursday. You always look at a few dates when it comes to the schedule. You look, of course, the opening weekend. Obviously, whomever you root for, in my case, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who do we play throughout the course of the year? You look at Thanksgiving, which the Steelers do play on Thanksgiving against the Ravens there, the NBC game at 8.20 or whatever, 8.30 that night. You also look at the Thursday night slate, the Sunday night slate, and the Monday night slate, which I'll go through a little bit here, and I'll go through in real time. But I will say before I start, the highlights of these schedules are the primetime games, as we know. And the teams that you're going to see at the forefront are going to be Tampa, obviously. The Chiefs, Super Bowl winners, as we know, as they kick off the season there. The first game against the Houston Texans that Thursday, what is that, the 10th? It would have been great for me to see the Patriots there. And the reason being is because without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, the first game post-Tom Brady to go into Arrowhead, Kind of the old guard versus the new guard, even though Andy Reid's been coached for a million years, but you have 
Pat Mahomes, and you look like the Chiefs are going to be entrenched as favorites in the AFC for, you would think, the next three to five years. And then we all know the resume of a coach in a one, Bill Belichick, how that would fare that first game. I thought it would have been fascinating, just great theater to start off the season. But eh, they choose the Texans. They got a good young quarterback as it is. And Deshaun Watson, we know the offseason moves that they made, but I do not love their coach. And I don't think they're a big-time team. So to me, eh, I don't think that's the most sexiest of opening nights that you could have gotten there. But be that as it may. But when you look at the other top teams, you know Dallas is going to be prominent here when it comes to the primetime schedule. The Rams you're going to see quite a bit because they have a new stadium. Even though they share with the Chargers, but the Chargers, we all know they're in rebuild mode. You're also going to see a lot of Green Bay. You're going to see a lot of Seattle. You're going to see a lot of New England. So that's going to be the theme here. Also the Vikings. That's going to be the theme when you're going to see a lot of these primetime games here throughout the course of the year. And when you look at week one, you have the Rams opening up their new stadium, SoFi, in Inglewood against the Cowboys. Your Monday night doubleheader is Steelers at Giants, followed by Titans and Broncos. And as we go through the list, the Thursday night games, I'm just going to go through the good ones that you see here because... The first Thursday night game after the Chiefs open up the season is Bengals and Browns. Is anybody going to be excited about that? I'm sorry, I'm not. But your Sunday night game that week, you have Patriots and Seahawks, which a lot of people are going to look back to Super Bowl 49, but those two teams are far cries from what they once were back then. So although a lot of those memories are going to be conjured up, the boneheaded play calling by Coach Pete Carroll, etc., Saints and Raiders. So the Raiders were open up their new stadium in Las Vegas. First time there after being in California throughout their whole tenure, whether it was in Northern California as a member of the Oakland Raiders or even Southern California when they were in LA from 83 to 94, I believe it was. So you have the Raider fans that are going to be rejoicing, at least the ones that are in uh, Vegas, probably the 15 of them that are there now. As I said, I'm only going to go through the important Thursday night games or the ones that are certainly marquee. Sunday night Packers, Saints, Chiefs, and Ravens are going to see, you're going to see a lot of the Ravens in primetime with the reigning MVP and a one Lamar Jackson. Week four, you have Eagles and Niners. Sunday night, Monday night is Falcons and Packers. Buccaneers, Bears, this is October 6th. Is that a sexy Thursday night game? Eh. Sunday night, Vikings, Seahawks, and then Chargers, Saints, your Monday night game. Chiefs and Bills, a decent Thursday night game, followed by Rams and 49ers Sunday night, and then Cardinals-Cowboys Monday night. This is week six. Buccaneers and Raiders, which is Gruden versus his old team in uh, Tampa Bay. Bears and Rams are your Monday night game. Week eight, Falcons and Panthers, if anybody wants to get crazy about that. Thursday night, Cowboys-Eagles and Buccaneers-Giants are your Monday night game. Thursday, uh, Sunday night was Cowboys-Eagles. Packers-Niners is your decent Thursday night game. You had to wait till November 5th for that one. Saints and Bucks are your Sunday night, Monday night's Pats, Jets. As you see, you know what the theme is. I said this from the start. You're also going to see a lot of Saints, of course. Ravens-Patriots Thursday, uh, your Sunday night game, Vikings-Bears. That's what you're pretty much going to have here, people. Your Thursday night schedule is going to be so-so. Your Sunday night schedule is going to be is what it is. And then your Monday night schedule is actually a lot better this year. And with that being said, no more Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarlane as they're out of their Monday night booth and now they're going to have to scramble to find 
a dynamic duo of sorts to fill that ESPN booth. As we know, it's been a disaster over the years. I like Sean McDonough, but the Sean McDonough-John Gruden duo didn't work out. We all know about Jason Witten with Tessator and then Booger coming in there. So now they're going to have to start from ground zero and work themselves up. I don't know. I couldn't even tell you right now who they could get, who's contractually bound. Can you get somebody or pluck somebody off of Fox or maybe their second team that they have there, whether it's Kevin Burkhart, those type of guys, who knows? I can't tell you right now. But uh, they're certainly going to have to do what it takes to get themselves a credible booth there because they've been slaughtered over the past couple of years with the guys. And no offense to those guys, but obviously they were just, you had to turn your sets off or at least lower the volume when it comes to watching those Monday night games. Your Thanksgiving Day games, Texans and Lions is the opener followed by Redskins, Cowboys, and I mentioned Ravens, Steelers. Sunday night that week, Bears, Packers, and then Seahawks, Eagles. That's what you're pretty much going to see. Cowboys, Ravens is a good Thursday night game. That's December the 3rd. Broncos, Chiefs, Sunday night. Bills, Niners, Monday night. And remember, a lot of these will flex throughout the course of the season, especially when you get deep into the season. And then the other thing is two people, on top of all that, will the season start on time? We know the NFL, they've pretty much laid low when it comes to any types of different versions of an NFL schedule, whether it's going to be the full 16-game slate, a 14-game, 10, 12, etc. They have some contingency plans to alter it or to edit it as they go. But right now, of course, it's all up in the air. We certainly don't know that. And with football still being four months away, there's plenty of time to figure out what they're going to do here. But right now, they're going to go as planned with week one being September the 10th. And then the rest of your games, as I said, you know, 49ers and Cowboys Sunday night, Steelers, Bengals Monday night. Uh, to break it all down, people, Sunday night's going to be what it is. Monday night's a lot better. Thursday night, you're going to have a sprinkle of good games. But other than that, that's it. You know, I'm not going to go through all the schedules week by week, all the teams. It doesn't make any sense. And for those out there who are already trying to give win-loss records as they were doing the other night, and I only heard this. I didn't watch any of these schedule shows. I know they have to fill up airtime, but give me a break. Really, they're going to break down Tampa's schedules to the point that, oh, they're going to be 11-5? and Remind you, we understand that the Buccaneers, they're certainly going to be highly touted coming into the season, but there is no way, shape, or form that we could break down a season knowing that there could be injuries. Who knows if Brady's going to last a season? That's not to jinx him by any stretch. But the point of the matter is is that uh, in early May, to forecast a win-loss record for any of these teams is a waste of time and it's absolutely ridiculous if you ask me. So so that's what you got with the NFL. And I believe no Saturday games this year. At least I don't see any scheduled. And usually you get those Saturday games in late December after the college football season is done. But you do have a Christmas game, Vikings and Saints 430 on Fox, which is cool. It's on a Friday. So at least you get that under your Christmas tree. But no Saturday games as of note. And pretty much everything else is just your normal Thursday Sunday, Monday night slate. And lastly, the New York Jets signed Frank Gore to a one-year contract last week. 37 years old. Kudos to him as he makes his way around the AFC East the last few years, considering he was in Miami a couple years back. The Bills last year and now with the Jets. But it's certainly a head shaker only because they have Le'Veon Bell. And for Frank Gore to come in, as we all know, I'm sure he's a good clubhouse guy, good locker room guy, a lot of presence, veteran, leadership, etc. And remember, he played under 
coach Adam Gaze in Miami a couple of years back. But very puzzling to think that they would bring him in. What kind of role he's going to have Ugh, remains to be seen. And I know he's not going to cost a lot of money, but the bigger question is whether or not Frank Gore is a Hall of Famer. And not to throw cold water on his career, this is nothing against him personally. And I know I'm in the minority here. But in my eyes, my estimation, Frank Gore is not a Hall of Famer. And for one simple reason. 17 years, unbelievable. I'm sure there's a zillion other running backs that could would trade their careers for his. But for a contrast, look at Terrell Davis. And for a long time, Terrell Davis was questionable as a Hall of Famer. But the reason why he's in the Hall of Fame, and although it took some time because of the longevity of his career, was because he was dominant. And as I've said time and time again on this podcast, to me, to be a Hall of Famer, you have to be dominant. Not have a 15-year career and then have rack up all these yards, whether you're a running back or a quarterback or whatever it may be. And even though we know he's third all-time in rushing as far as NFL history is concerned, and maybe, I believe, I don't know what the numbers are off the top of my head, but he probably could get close, or if not pass, Walter Payton. But does anybody in their right frame of mind think that Frank Gore is a better running back than Walter Payton? Or Emmitt Smith? Or Eric Dickerson? Or Jim Brown? I didn't even bring up Jim Brown. I brought him a fourth. I mean, you could go through the list of people. LaDainian Tomlinson. Again, this isn't the knock Frank Gore by any stretch. But when you put his name up against those other guys, it's a landslide. So that's all I'm saying. I mean, people could disagree with that. And that's fine. You think he's a Hall of Famer? I get it. But I'm the same guy that although he had over 3,000 hits, but a 20-year career, was only an all-star eight times, was never the best at his position, just like Frank Gore was. But in my eyes, Craig Biggio is not a Hall of Famer. When was that man ever dominant? That's my point. And then lastly, I want to talk about this MMA fighter who the other night there, UFC 249, and everybody knows I am not a UFC guy. Everybody knows that that is a sport that I've never really followed, although I do keep myself abreast of anything that's going on Because I know I have young listeners out there who are into MMA and I'm certainly not going to push it aside altogether. But Ronaldo Souza, who tested positive, where he drove from his state of Florida up to Jacksonville where the event was taking place. And chances are he said he probably came in contact throughout the course of the week, which was heads up on him to give the medical team or at least to give the UFC people a heads up so he could go and get tested, and sure enough, he was, as well as his two cornermen. And as I said earlier, he was asymptomatic, which is the silent killer. If everybody had the symptoms and everybody was coming down with the coughs and the fever and whatever achy feels, it's a lot easier to diagnose. But when you have somebody who is healthy and active and feels as if everything is 100% with them, and then to come down and test positive... This is why, in the grand scheme of things, it's a major problem for all these sports to try to monitor. And I'm not going to go back and rehash everything I said earlier in the podcast, but the point of the matter is that MMA, which is one-on-one, and when you look at basketball, hockey, football, baseball to a certain degree, how is it going to be possible to make sure that all these guys stay healthy throughout the course of... uh, not only just a regular season, but a two, three, four, five-week stretch. 
And we understand, I said it before, the money, the contracts, the revenue, all that, it's important. They want to finish these seasons. They want the owners to get paid, the players to get paid. We get all that, but uh, just tough. Even Rafael Nadal, in closing, before I get to my hero and zero of the week, even Rafael Nadal, who's a tennis player, and that's a one sport that you can't social distance. You're in your side of the court. You don't have to worry about being in contact with anybody else. I understand that the ball boys and the ball girls are going around the court, but I'm sure they would be able to work that out. But Nadal said it best. Scrap the rest of this tennis season and let's hope to get to the Australian Open in 2021. I understand it's easy for him to say. He's older. Maybe he gets on the mend so he could be 100% healthy by the time he gets to the Australian Open next year. But this is what you're up against. And I've said it time and time again that this is a fight that looks like all the sports leagues, other than the NFL as of right now, looks like they may end up losing. So we will keep our eyes peeled on that. All right, so let me close out here with my hero and zero of the week. My hero of the week is Mary Pratt. And if you're wondering, Mary Pratt, who's that? Is that the mother of Todd Pratt, the former Met catcher? No, it is not. She is the last surviving member of the Rockford Peaches. And if the Rockford Peaches ring a bell, yes, that is the same team that was in the movie A League of Their Own, part of the All-American Girls Pro Baseball League, Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, etc., directed by the late, great, and former Bronxite Penny Marshall. Well, Mary Pratt passed away last Wednesday at the age of 101. So to be the last surviving member of that team where I'm sure it's been long forgotten by a lot of people, but was immortalized by that movie. And to be the last standing member and to get over 100, to make it to 101, that's all I need to say. Mary Pratt, may you rest in peace. Thoughts, prayers go out to your family. You're my hero of the week. And my zero of the week isn't on one person, although there could be some people indicted on this. But to me, this is the shade of college basketball. Zion Williamson, who is the number one pick out of Duke, currently of the New Orleans Pelicans, was asked this week if his parents had demanded and received gifts and money from the likes of Adidas, Nike, even Duke for that matter, before he became a part of the Tar Heels. Now, who knows what kind of implications are going to be brought upon, whether Coach Mike Krzyzewski has blood on his hands in reference to this. Chances are he may not. But just knowing that his parents were part of this whole thing and This has been going on for the beginning of time, people, so this isn't any secret as college sports continues to be corrupt and just dirty with shady characters and it just seems to go on forever, whether your name is Reggie Bush, whether your name is Chris Webber. I mean, we could go down the list of all these college athletes who have certainly been involved with the likes of these characters. So I'm not going to pinpoint his parents who look like if they were the ones that were demanding some gifts or money or whatever it may be but just the whole umbrella of college basketball as it is today it doesn't seem to get anywhere out of their way or the black eye that the sport continues to endure when you have incidents like this and we'll be sure to watch this as this is probably just the beginning of this but unfortunately college basketball gets my zero of the week and that'll do it people I wish there was more sports to talk about but As we all know, we're all starving for it. We're all trying to pull from different angles and thank God for the last dance because if not, this probably would have been half as long as what you've been able to listen to. But I do appreciate you sticking with me through my rant, through some of the negativity from the start. 
But be sure, people, that I'll be here each and every week and hopefully twice a week if I get some guests on to entertain and inform you about everything that's going on in the world of sports. So if you like what you heard, please feel free to subscribe, rate and review on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary. All that's going to do is just increase the visibility of this podcast among the many others that are out there, not just in sports, but everywhere else. And in hopes to generate interest from the likes of former athletes, current athletes, broadcasters, sports writers, bloggers, whatever it may be, so I could have on as guests. Because the more familiar they are with this podcast is partly through your contribution of subscribing, rating, and review of this podcast. And I would be forever indebted and greatly thankful and grateful for your participation in doing so. If you need to reach out for me for whatever the reason, with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, you could do so on any of my social media accounts, whether it's on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels podcast, which is strictly about sports. J Reels 1 on Twitter, just the number. The J Reels podcast on my Facebook fan page. And the old-fashioned way via email at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Again, feel free to reach out to me, whatever is on your mind. I'll be sure to follow up with you because as you know, people, for those who've been with me from the very beginning in the middle or even just right now as you're getting a little bit more familiar with me, you know this is what I love to do. Sports has been inside. It's in my DNA since day one and I love to talk about it, to share my thoughts, my wisdom, my opinions, my analysis, to entertain and inform you guys on everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, on the ice, on the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, race track, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip page.